There was a time when men were kind And their voices were soft And their words inviting There was a time when love was blind And the world was a song And the song was exciting There was a time And it all went wrong. All right. How about that for an intro? Uh, gosh, if you've never been here, you're going to start thinking this is going to be normal. <laughs> it's never happened before, and it'll never happen again. Um, I, but I, I wanted to start into Genesis that way. Um. If you didn't pick up on it, that song is very sad and very honest. And Genesis is dead honest about life here. And it is extraordinarily helpful. Fontaine is the lady who is singing in Les Mis. She's lamenting how her how, how hopeful her life used to be. And then she realized how it all went wrong. And that is a good introduction to the book of Genesis because her personal experience maps onto history. Did you know there was a time when death did not exist. If you've been familiar with the Bible at all, I, I, I know you know that, but did you ever think about that? That there was a time when love was blind. When no one had any fear of divorce. There was a time when men were kind, when there was no such thing as human trafficking. There was a time, and then it all went wrong. And I'm guessing I don't have to persuade you that it all went wrong. Wrongness in this world has affected all of us. And the truth is, you and I are part of what's wrong with the world, according to Genesis. Genesis, the reason I'm so excited to come to this book again, is because it, it explains to us how it all went wrong. And Genesis makes really clear for us how we should live now in this world. My task today is, is to review Genesis 1 through 11 in order to get us ready for Genesis chapter 12. Uh, I, I, we're, we're really going to focus, especially in Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, but we will cover the whole thing. 
But one, one thing I want you to remember as we come back to this book is that it was originally written to doubters. Genesis was written to by Moses to his generation and they doubted the Lord would save them. Initially from Egyptian slavery. And then these doubters doubted that the Lord would provide for them. In the wilderness. And then these doubters who this book was especially first written to doubted that the Lord would bring them into the promised land. I tell you all that because I want you to hear what they heard when they first heard Genesis 1 through 11. And this is what they heard. The doubters were told this time, let's listen to the Lord. Some ways as we kind of move toward Genesis 12 next week, I want you to know this and leave with this message from Genesis 1 through 11. This time, let's listen to the Lord. The title of the sermon is Listen and Live. Listen and Live. And I want you to remember four points From these chapters, four points about four characters, four points about four characters. And point number one is I want you to remember from Genesis one that the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks. This is absolutely essential. You may be really familiar with lots of people who speak, but to say that the Lord speaks, we need to understand He speaks like no one else speaks. And we hear that right from the very beginning. Look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now, again, I'm not I'm not going to say all the I mean, the Lord says a lot by not saying a lot, and I'm not going to say a lot about what He's just said. Um, I've already preached through these chapters. Um, But what I want you to hear is even the way he starts when he says in the beginning, what he's saying is I was all by myself. Okay, the Lord was all by himself before all this thing got started. The one who began everything. Had no beginning. And then he began everything and everyone else. When he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth is a nickname for everything that exists. What I want to focus on is how the Lord began everything and everyone. Let me just make three observations. The Lord spoke. The Lord Spoke in a commanding way. That's what 
is repeated throughout this chapter. If we were to read the rest of it, we would see over and over these words. Let there be this command from the Lord. There's actually ten of them. Ten commands. It's in the words, and God said in verse 3, let there be. But then again, in verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, verse 29, ten commands, and God said. Don't you think about that? Do you think ten commands? would mean something to people who had just received the Ten Commandments. They would hear Genesis 1 and they would hear ten words bring life. They would be encouraged to listen so that they might live. Even to the Ten Commandments. The Lord spoke in a commanding way, but he also spoke in a consequential way, a consequential way. Now, I I try to speak like this when I coach little kids in soccer. Some of you kids know that I try to speak in a commanding and consequential way. I know that Um, some of you parents wish I wouldn't. Uh, Talk to your kids in such a commanding and seeking to be consequential kind of way. Uh, But for those of you who have not heard me on a soccer field, let me give you an example. On day one of a soccer season, one thing that I say is let there be no walking when we're running. And then they run laps. And round about lap number two. I'm not theirs. I can't hear them, but I think they're whispering to one another. Are we going to listen to that old codger? And collectively, they seem to say, nah, not going to do it. What I'm saying is it doesn't take long to learn that my commands are just wishes. Friends, it is not that way when the Lord makes a command. So whenever he says, let there be, what happens over and over is the words come, and it was so. Look in verse 6. This is an example. Let there be. And then verse 7. And it was so. Look in verse 9. Let there be. And and then, and it was so, that, that means, and it was exactly so. It was just so. It was exactly what he said. That is exactly what happened. There's a consequence whenever he gives this command, and it is fulfillment. The message of Genesis 1 is there is a Lord who speaks like no one you know. He says, let there be life. And the world becomes full of life. Now, I think that 
observation by itself should make you all thrilled that we're about to go through the book of Genesis. Because if we listen, we're going to live. Because every time he speaks, life goes out. And, and what's true on page one of our Bibles is true on every single page in the Bible. Listen uh, to what Second Timothy in chapter three says. Paul is speaking to Timothy and he said, you know what the Bible is like. It is able. It has this ability. Whenever God speaks, there's an ability that did not exist before, but you can be saved whenever God speaks, he says in Second Timothy chapter three. And then he goes on to say every single word in this book that we carry around, that's just laying around in our homes, every single word in there was breathed out by God and it is able. It's able to complete the person who is a believer, to fill out all that we're lacking. What I'm saying, beloved, you should be excited that we, well, we preach through the, the whole Bible. We preach through it every single week. But that should excite you because the Lord speaks and then life comes. I want to encourage you to fill your life with listening. To the Lord. And what, what I'm, I don't mean. I'm not I'm not talking about some private conversation you're having with the Lord. I, and we can talk about prayer later. But what I mean is fill your life with listening to this book. Because you can be confident if you do that, your life is going to be full. And, you know, I'm not saying. All your wishes are going to come true. And this is how you do it. We ain't that kind of church. I'm not that kind of preacher. You know it. Amen. <laughs> Finally got that. Amen. Thank you. I'll take it. What I'm saying is the Lord sends life. It says it on page one. The Lord sends life to everyone who listens. He speaks in a commanding way and in a consequential way. And he speaks with a certain kind of quality as well. So, ten commands and also seven goods. The word good. After he makes these commands, it was good. It's a quality. So, we're just on page one and we've... We should be making a couple of conclusions. If the Lord is maker of all. Well, that makes him Lord over all. And the Lord over all is judge of all. He looks at what he's done and he judges it. He evaluates it. And everything on page one is good. And friends, what that means to everyone here who did not make yourself. Is that our maker. Won't just evaluate. 
the stars and judge the trees. He'll judge you and me as well. The last time he says good, he says it differently in chapter 1, verse 31. He looks at everything he's made and he says it's very good. And then he stops speaking. The Lord stopped speaking so that he could start celebrating. Just enjoying all that he made as very good. And and I think that that should encourage us that it is good for us to celebrate what God has made. And also to recognize that everything that is worthy of our celebration traces right back to him. What Genesis 1 teaches us is the Lord is the one we should celebrate the most. The Lord speaks and everything that exists comes into being. But I, I wonder if you can see this on even your pages. Um, the Lord spends the most of his words on day six. That's verse 24 through the end of the chapter. And he spends the most of his words on the day that he spoke the most. Creating us. And that means something. What I want us to do is especially listen to what the Lord says about humanity. So remember Genesis 1 through 11. Remember the Lord speaks. But point number two, remember the man mirrors the man mirrors. That's what we see in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Look, look there. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. That's mankind, that him is mankind. Male and female, he created them, the two genders within mankind. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. My family has this silly tradition whenever we're driving and crossing state borders whenever we cross into a new state like we see that sign that says welcome to arkansas or whatever we'll high five one another um, that we made it to another state it's it's a silly thing that we we've been doing for a long time um we always just high five one another we're celebrating that we got to another state except when we drive into oklahoma Uh, Oklahoma makes all the bishops say, boo, hiss. You're liable to see one of those sweet little kids spit whenever we cross into Oklahoma. Well, in Moses' world, whenever you cross into a border, cross another border, 
you would find not a sign, but a statue, an image. It was an image of the king. And it would, it's communicating this message. You've now entered into the dominion and the rule of this king. So, whenever God creates the world, he puts that statue in. Humanity. And humanity as God's image is supposed to communicate the same thing. Harold Abrams was uh, a world-famous sprinter. He was a rival to someone you might have heard of, Eric Little. And he was trying to break the world record in the 100-meter, I don't know if it's called a dash. It feels like it's field day or something like that, but... Um, it was like in the in the Olympics. It was a real deal. And and he and he famously said these words about trying to break the world record. I have ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. What he was saying was, if I don't win, what am I worth? I, we may not ever get to be on that kind of stage, but I think, I think all of us kind of wrestle with the same question. Why do I exist? Does my life matter? Listen to me. The Lord tells us on page one where our worth is. And he tells us that when he explains why it is we were made in the first place. It's to be mirrors of the true king of kings. Chapter 1, verse 26, look look how the, the word dominion is there. You're to have dominion, which is a royal, kingly kind of word. You're to rule because you are the mirror of the king. Chapter 1, verse 27, that, that's true of male and female. Every boy and every girl is a mirror, meant to be a mirror of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 28, together we are to fill the world with mirrors. That's why we exist, to fill the world with mirrors that point to heaven, point to the one in heaven. Does your life matter? Yes. And you don't have to review your circumstances or how your life all went wrong or or how well it's going right now. You can answer yes. Why? Because you are the image of God. And you have with your life this opportunity to be a mirror, to be like God. To act in ways that God would act to think and to believe Whatever he thinks and believes, that is why you exist. And what this means is, listen to me, this is so important. Because this may or may not be matching up with how you're living your life and the kinds of things you're looking to with whether your life matters at all. 
What this means is if you try to live your life without the Lord, the original. If you are living your days not listening to him. If you are trying to live like you are the best or anything else or anyone else is the best. If what I'm saying, if if what people see whenever they see you is just you. You could say they should they should boo. They should hiss. Striving to be the best defeats your purpose for life. And it's pointless. You know why? Because the Lord is the best. And he's not sharing that title with anybody. What this also means is if you can accept what the Lord says, that you were made to mirror, what that means is whether you're a child right now or whether you're entering into the last years of your life, what that means is whether you have a ton of influence right now or you have none. Your life matters. And it, it always matters. It doesn't matter how things are going well or, or, or terrible. If you'll be a mirror and you'll accept this moment. How can this teach me more about him? How can I show others what the Lord is like As I respond to this, how can I honor him in this? And you will be doing what you were given breath to do. Let me say something before we move on. And that mirrors, they work a certain way. I know y'all came to hear this kind of technical jargon from a guy like me. I know things scientifically how mirrors work. Let me lay it down for you. Mirrors can only reflect an image after they've received the image. We cannot show what we have not seen. We cannot reflect who we do not look at. And we receive God By listening to him. (laughs) It's listening to him that leads to knowing him. And then we can reflect him. Will you listen? Will you live? So at this point in the story, this carries us through Genesis 2. It's all good. The Lord speaks. The man is made to mirror. The man is mirroring God. He is ruling like God. He is like God. But it all went wrong. And the next point tells us how. 
Point number three, I want you to remember this about Genesis 1 through 11. And now I'm going to talk to you about Genesis 3 through 11. Remember, the enemy lies. The enemy lies. But I want to let Fontaine tell it. Dream to dream and time gone by And hope was high and life worth living I dreamed that love would never die I dreamed that God would be forgiving Right before Genesis 3, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. There was no shame. For Fontaine, tigers came speaking. Their voices were soft as thunder and they turned her dreams to shame. In the very next verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, an enemy enters and turns the Lord's dream world into a world of shame. This is, this is what it says. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen, this is what he said. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband and who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And that this is where and they became ashamed and they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves loincloths. When it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both were open. This is a dramatic moment that's basically communicating and then it all went wrong. Why is death the way of life now? Why why does the majority of the entire world waste their life ignoring the Lord? And, and live whole lives without any kind of real hope. How can a town with so many churches have so few Christians? Because the enemy lies. If we will just pay attention to the enemy's attack, then we will know exactly what we should protect. Let me put that another way. If, if we take careful note of what exactly the enemy targets, then what you are being taught is what you should treasure. Chapter 3, verse 1. Did God actually say? That's his target. The enemy attacks God's word. Do you know why? Because the enemy believes that if we listen, we will live. Listen. Will you listen to the Lord? And it's more than just opening the Bible and knowing some of the Bible. Because he kind of opened the Bible to her. She knew some of the Bible. This is the great question of your life. Are you going to listen to the Lord? The Lord had said in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16, I believe. Yeah, 16. He says, he commands Adam... You can eat of every tree here, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Every tree is yours, except for the one that's mine. And it's the one about the knowledge of what's good and evil. If you want the knowledge of what's good and evil, you have to listen to me. That's my knowledge. You're not to get that apart from me because you're not to live apart from me. You don't live like you are a God. And that is what she's tempted to do. She finds that kind of knowledge desirable. I want to be God. I'm not content to be a mirror of God. I want to determine what's right and what's wrong. And the moment he lies to her, he speaks over the Lord. Eve lessens the Lord's provision. Instead of, instead of saying every tree we can eat of, she says we're not to eat of any tree. She exaggerates the Lord's prohibition. Uh, uh, he said don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she said we shouldn't touch any of them. And then she misrepresents the Lord's penalty. Do you see the effect of lies already getting in there? The penalty is you will surely die, she says, 
lest you die. Sounds more like a maybe. And sure enough, the enemy speaks up in verse four. And I want you to know that he is proving he knows word for word what the Lord said. The Lord said, you shall surely die. And he says, you shall surely die. But he put a no in front of it. No. You shall surely die. The moment she believed his lies, we all lost the Lord's voice. Listen and live. If you won't listen to him, you die. So Genesis 3 ends with Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, out of the presence of God, away from his voice. Friends, why do you think the world keeps changing the definition of good? And, and somehow it gets farther and farther away from what God has said is good. Why, why do you think you sometimes will say, hold up, I see it's plainly in the Bible, but is that really what it says? Why is it? Maybe when we hear preaching, we're either bored or, or, or we're, we're filling our mind with, yeah, but. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we all struggle to trust the Lord whenever life doesn't go our way? Why is it that we still, like Eve, forget just how generous all the things he has given to us? Why is it that we, just like our mother Eve... Demand that he forgive us, not kill us, and he better not kill or not forgive the people we love most. Genesis tells us why. Genesis explains what we heard early in 2 Corinthians 4, why Satan is now called the God of this world. How he got the rights. To blind the minds of people who do not believe. To make us, another image would be deaf to the Lord's voice. All was right, Genesis 1 through 2. And then it all went wrong, Genesis 3. Genesis 4 through 11 is just unpacking what happened when we believed the enemy's lies. And so for those chapters, let me just give you three, I'd say highlights, but they're, they're lowlights. Number one, whenever the world believed the lies of the enemy, a flood washed the world away. It says in Genesis 5, God is looking at the world and he sees nothing but evil. And then the flood comes... And then in chapter 8, he says, it's still all evil. <laughs> there are eight people left, and they kept the evil with them. This is what the world is like. It says in chapter 11 that the world is still full of pride. That's that Tower of Babel scene where it says in chapter 11 and verse 5, the world comes together and they say, 
Let us make a name for ourselves. Let's create a tower into heaven. Let's basically become God and give ourselves glory. Lest we get spread out in the whole earth. Do you remember what the Lord said that they were made to do? To fill the whole earth. They're full of pride. They will not listen to him. They will live for themselves. That's what it means to be a sinner. We were made to draw attention to God. Sinners draw attention to themselves. But then the third thing that happens that brings us all the way to the end of chapter 11. Look there. 11 chapter, chapter 11 verse 30. This is the most devastating, I think, picture of what happened when the world believed the enemy's lies. Chapter 11, verse 30, a short sentence. Now Sarai, who you know as Sarah, was barren. She had no child. A flood washes the world away. The world is still full of pride. And we find at the end a womb that is empty. And that's where we pick up next week. But I'm not done yet. I want you to take in how devastating empty wombs are. Maybe you felt this. One of the most painful feelings in this world is an empty womb. And that is an echo. It's an echo because this is why this is so important. Because we were told to place all our hope in the womb of a woman. Listen, Genesis 3.15. After the enemy lies and the people and Adam and Eve believe, listen to what he says to the woman or to the to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your sons or offspring and her son. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then he explains in verse 16 to the woman. It's going to be really hard for you to not have an empty womb. But all your hope is that one day a son is going to come. And he's the only one who can beat the the enemy. This is why it's so devastating for chapter 11 to end with Sarah was barren. I'm tempted to play another Les Mis song. Um, I'm afraid this might become a Finding God in Les Mis sermon, um, which would be a good sermon. Uh, If I were to play another song, it would be Do You Hear the People Sing? If you don't know that song, uh, the, the, the background is that the story is set in the French Revolution. And there's a, a, a band of men who are singing this song. They're singing the music of a people who will not be slaves again. They're going to revolt and, 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 and make France free. They're, they're singing, if you want a new world, then join the fight that will give you the right to be free. They're, they're singing that life is about to start when tomorrow comes. And, and I love, this may be my favorite song in, in, a, in, in that, in that uh, musical. It's glorious. It's triumphant. 
And I, I think I love it so much, and people love it so much, because it taps into the good in all of us that wants to fight against evil. But I think it also is something I love and we love because of the pride in all of us, that we can be the ones to beat the enemy. I think if Moses heard that song, I'm sure he would start snapping his little fingers and tapping his feet. He would love the beat, but I think he would also tell us that song isn't true. He would tell us that our enemy is too great for us to beat. He would tell us that we also are the enemies of God. He would then tell us that the point of all that God wrote is that life is about to start not when tomorrow comes, but when the sun comes. So the last point, when we're four, I want you to remember the sun is coming. Genesis 3.15, the sun is coming. Genesis 3.15, I want you to hear some good news before we all close this thing down. Um, there is good news for you if you want Genesis 3.15 to be true, that there would be a son to come and fight the enemy you can't fight. There's good news if you know what it means that this is a time when dreams turn to shame and when hope is turned to hell. This is a time when we are slaves and when we can't save ourselves. The good news about Genesis 3.15 is that it was spoken by the Lord and not by the liar. He's the one who said to the serpent, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your son and his son. And he will, you will bruise his ankle or he, you will crush his ankle and he will bruise your head. Now, what happens when a human stomps down on the head of a serpent? He's saying the sun's going to kill you. It's time, beloved, that we listen to the Lord. Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. When the time of lostness and death had filled all the way up. When those who listen knew that they needed the son to come, then the son came. And when he came, we get these words, in the beginning was the word. To tell us that Jesus, the son of God, is described like he's the word of God. He's what, what, what God is telling us is if, is if you would live, you have to listen to him about his son. The son is also the mirroring man. We're told in John chapter one, the word became flesh and he alone can make God known. That is, he is the only mirror that actually works. The way that it's supposed to. Colossians chapter 1 then tells us Jesus is the image that we were supposed to be. He is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created. That means he's the Lord who speaks. In him and uh, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through the Son and for the Son. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Listen. 
When the Lord says that his son is the creating speech of God and that his son is the mirror of God, what he's saying is my son is the point of Genesis and my son is your only hope. The question is, will you listen? It's not enough that the son would just come, just come into the world. He came to do something. Remember, he came to conquer to conquer our enemy. So right after we're told that he came, we're told that he was tempted by Satan himself. And unlike Adam, the son did not give in to sin. He remained perfect. He was the only one undeserving of death so that when he died, we're told this in Colossians chapter two, because you were dead. God has made you alive with Christ. Having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to Christ's cross. The son disarmed the rulers, that is Satan himself, and put him to open shame by triumphing over Satan. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, since we are flesh and blood, Jesus partook of flesh and blood so that through his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Whole world is afraid to die. And in that way, for their whole lives, they're slaves just waiting to be punished by God. And Jesus, by his death destroys the enemy and takes away our fear. Will you listen? Satan lies and he blinds people so that they don't believe. And I wonder if anyone here has the blind being taken off. If you're thinking you can face the Lord in judgment and be accepted apart from his son. Your heart is lying to you. You have to be absolutely perfect. If you are convinced that your sin is too great for him to ever accept you, you are right. Unless you're counting on his son. Listen. The Lord always tells the truth and he says, everyone who believes in my son will not be put to shame. We believe in him. The son is coming. We're going to see that over and over again in Genesis. All of time waited for him. And all the time that you get is from him and it is for him. Will you listen and live? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would take it and, and, and cause us to live, cause us to believe, cause us to follow your son and trust in him alone. That we might live lives that are full of purpose and meaning, no matter what our lives look like. God, would you glorify yourself through us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.